Good morning, everybody. We are continuing a series we've been doing for a little while called The Promise. Uh, we're talking about during this Advent season all the promises God has given us. We talked about hope and we talked about peace. And last week we talked about joy. And one of the things we talked about when it comes to joy is that joy and happiness are not the same. How many, how many of you guys have figured out that joy and happiness aren't the same? Anybody? So we talked about one reason why is joy is eternal. It's supernaturally based, and uh, it is eternal. And so uh, happiness is temporary. It's based on the circumstances. And so what we discovered was that the way you see, receive real joy is by receiving Christ. There's, uh, you can be happy in this world, but it's really, really difficult to walk in joy if there's not something that's been changed on the inside of you. Um, and that's what we talked a little bit about last week. And so this week we're talking about love. And today we want to talk about the promise of love that was born into the world in the form of a baby in a manger. Now, how many of you guys have a nativity scene in your house? Anybody got a nativity scene? <laughs> Most of us, right? If nothing else, a picture of it. Um, you drive by and you see them. They used to be a lot more prominent, um, but uh, uh, there's not as many of them, seems like, as there used to be. But you see them all over the city. Um, they put these things up, and, and it's interesting. We, we just kind of take that for granted. We kind of sort of know what it means. But um, the word nativity is actually from a Latin word that just means birth. And so that makes sense, right? You see, you know, the birth of Jesus. And so um, nativity scenes are, are a promise of something. They're, they're, an, they're an exclamation point, if you will, on the fact that the promise of, of love coming to the earth was going to happen. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago. And we just keep celebrating that. That's, that's the whole kind of point of the, the point of Christmas. Um, but any kind of birth is exciting, right? Um, some of you guys are parents. And so uh, there's a recent trend, I say recent, past 10, 15 years or so, of gender re- reveal parties. Anybody you've ever do <laughs> and they're always I mean they're always interesting I read an article the other day about gender reveal parties are some of them are now costing up to like ten thousand dollars like can you imagine some marketer said there's money to be made here right <laughs> we're gonna sell some balloons and some explosives and what have you right <laughs> I know it's crazy right but I mean everybody kind of it's they get a part of it if nothing else you know you just you cut a cake and whatever and it opens up my favorite gender reveal party I saw a video on uh, YouTube and, uh, and the title was, let me read it, When a Father Plans a Gender Reveal Party. <laughs> right, so you knew it was going to be good. So what he did was he hired two wrestlers for the back, he invited everybody, and in the backyard they wrestled for like, like five minutes. <clears throat> one was dressed in pink and one was dressed in blue, and, and the father was dressed as a referee. And so they wrestled all over the yard, you know, one of them threw one of them off onto a table, you know, just classic backyard wrestling type stuff we did as a kid. And then, and you know, the one who gets pinned, the one who wins, he raises his hand, you know, and, and whatever color he's wearing, that's the gender reveal kind of thing. So that was, that's been my favorite. But uh, gender reveal parties, nativity scenes are kind of, they're kind of the same thing. There's an excitement. It's a, this whole idea is there's an excitement around this new birth that's coming. Like, you know, we don't know what it's all going to be, but we're excited about what the potential and the possibilities are. And the nativity scene was that. You know, the first nativity scene is, um, it was a pretty big deal. Like, that may be the understatement of my entire message this morning, but, but you know, that first birth, um, I mean, the birth of, of, of uh, the Son of God into the earth, you know, the birth of love and joy and hope and peace and all these things that we know, it's a pretty big deal. So there was a promise in Isaiah about this nativity. Isaiah 7, 14 says this. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means, anybody know? God with us, right? So there, here's what's really interesting. One of the things I love that people talk about, you know, in church world, they're like, uh, I, you know, God doesn't really do 
supernatural things anymore, signs and wonders or healings or, you know, he just quit doing that. Like everybody, if you're a Christian, everybody agrees that, it, that he did, you know, that that happened in the, in the time of the apostles, right, of course, and, and you can't get saved without believing in the supernatural because the whole point of, the, you know, salvation is Jesus rose from the dead and signifying that God received that, you know, that sacrifice, that the sacrifice was fulfilled, and so that's a supernatural occurrence. But we forget about the first supernatural occurrence in the story, which was a virgin is going to have a baby. Now, let that sink in for a second, right? <laughs> so can you imagine? I mean, I think about this all the time. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's a pretty big deal too, right? I mean, it's like, and we're going to get into it in just a second about the whole concept of what happens when, when God shows up in that way. But this, this promise in Isaiah was, hey, I'm going to send you a sign. And the sign is there's, that something's going to happen because you're in the brokenness, you know, you're being, uh, you're being uh, tormented by captors and by, you know, uh, uh, people who would come in and, 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 cap, and you know, and, and uh, take you captive and rule over you with a harsh, you know, and a strong arm. And there's a promise that, that rescue is coming. And, and he said, the way you're going to know that it's here is there's going to be a virgin who has a baby. So imagine hearing that prophecy, because we've heard it a million times since we've been in church, but imagine, imagine hearing that prophecy for the first time, right? That, that somebody who's, nev- who's not been with a man, a woman who's not been with a man, is going to have a baby, right? And so we're going to get into the reason why that in just a second, but there's, it, there's an interesting contrast, like in, in Matthew and, and Luke, there are two actual pictures of the nativity scene. Um, Luke actually gives uh, a little bit of a backstory, a little bit of context. And so it starts with this angel, Gabriel, who comes, right? So this promise from Isaiah has been hanging in the air for years and years and years and years and years, right? Um, so hundreds of years of silence between, you know, Malachi and the, and the start of the book of Matthew. So, so the promise has been hanging around for a very, very, very long time. And people have been putting their hope in it and trusting it, but they haven't seen the sign yet. And then this happens. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Very specific about where he sent him, actually. It was very interesting. It says, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, that's a beautiful promise. But think about Mary. I mean, we we talk about this all the time during Christmas season. Imagine most people believe she was between the ages of 14 and 16 years old. I know that's weird for us today, for somebody to get married. It's like, you know, it's the Appalachian Mountains, <laughs> right? But, but back then, you were, <laughs> you were a mature, especially as a young woman. You were way, way more mature than most 12 to 14 or, you know, 16-year-olds are today. And so she was of marrying age, as it, as it were, but she was pledged to be married. But in, in our context, she wasn't technically married yet. She was, you know, jo- Joseph, we would put it this way, he was uh, her fiancé. And so she hears this, um, she's engaged, she's not married yet, and then this, this, this angel comes and says, hey, this is about to happen to you. And it's interesting, like, look at what, she's, what she says. She says, how, like, this is amazing. She's like, um, 
um, virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. So first of all, you have an angel show up <laughs> and says, hey, by the way, you're highly favored. And so later on in Matthew, she talks about it. She says, what does this mean, right? How can this be is another way to put it. So she's a virgin. She's never been with a man, and now she's going to get pregnant, and she's going to have a baby. So all, all of that happens that night. She hears all this information, and it comes into her mind. And then can you imagine what she's thinking about? Like, okay, what, what does all this mean moving forward? Like, in her head, she was just going to show up, marry, you know, this young Jewish boy. <laughs> everything was going to be normal like everything else. And this, this moment happens, and everything, everything changes. And here's, here's why. Anytime God shows up to a situation, it becomes a disruption. And I, I, my first sermon series when I preached during COVID, when I was preaching out of my living room, um, was a series called Disruption. And there was a reason for that because we felt that whatever was happening during COVID, you know, there was an attack from the enemy to, against the whole world, which is unusual, right? You see something that vast. And so, but what we also knew that it didn't take God by surprise, right? And so I talked about a disruption because disruption is different than an interruption. An interruption, you can stop and then you can go back to life as normal. Um, but a disruption, you're never going to be the same again. And that's what happened with Mary. This moment in her life when God showed up through this angel, she was never, ever, ever, ever going to be the same again, right? And so she had a lot of questions, as we all do. But here's the point, is when God shows up in your life, in, when he actually shows up, it's a disruption and things are never going to be the same again. So Mary's life has taken a turn. Again, as far as she knew, she was just going to marry this, this uh, nice Jewish boy, Joseph, <laughs> When all of a sudden she's, she hears that she's going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah, that, that you know, she thought she was going to have a normal life in a small little town, and then everything changed in a moment, and she was part of something way, way, way bigger than she imagined. So think about Joseph for a second, right? Um, your fiance suddenly becomes pregnant. It's not your baby, right? We forget about Joseph, like what kind of man he must have been. Because again, he could, have, he could have said, you know what? She's sleeping around. Before we, this is not allowed, the law says to stone her, and she's, you know, he could have taken that route. But something in this man's heart, the kindness and the goodness that God had changed him into, something, something didn't go like normal. But can I just tell you that that will surprise you, right? Can you imagine that happen? You're engaged to be married, and your wife comes to you and says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. And you're like, uh, okay, that's not good. And she says, no, no, it's totally good because an angel came and told me and it's going to be God and I'm having God's baby. <laughs> so we, we, again, we put this in the nativity context and we're okay with it, right? But if you think about the first time this happened and if you were there, what would you think? Can you imagine Joseph's best friend? When you tell, I mean, again, if it was modern day, it wasn't like this, but Joseph's best friend's like, so what happened? <laughs> right? And, it, and then he, you, he tells him, and he's like, dude, right? <laughs> he's like, no, no, it's okay. And then later on, you know, the, the angel comes to, to him and tells him, hey, it's going to be okay. Take Mary as your wife. I, she's not lying. She's telling the truth. It's, everything's going to be okay. And then he tells his best friend that story. And his best friend's like, dude, <laughs> right? Like at some point, you're like looking at these guys going, they're absolutely nuts. They're crazy. Um, the whole world is looking at them with disdain. They're just, what they're seeing is a mess compounded by disillusionment and, and, and living a lie, right? They're living a delusion. And so think about King Herod. King Herod's just 
ruling like a normal, you know, terrible dictator. Everything's going fine. And the next thing you know, some wise men come and say, hey, there's a baby that's born. It's going to be the king of the whole world. Uh, can you help us find him? And he's like, hold up, what? Right? <laughs> so now the political powers are having a disruption. Joseph has had a disruption. Mary has had a Bethlehem has had a disruption. And they're never, ever, ever going to be the same. None of these guys are. So when God's trying to birth something new, here's something that begins to happen. It will always feel like something confusing, something hard, also something exciting, something inexplicable, and probably something that is uncontrollable. Because once God moves into this moment, it's not going to be the same. So to pretend like it's going to be the same is just a really bad idea, right? So when God comes in, everything changes. Several years ago, some of you guys know my story, but several years ago, we were living, a uh, long time ago now, we were living in Destin, Florida. We were making a great income, living near the beach. Everything was hunky-dory. It was phenomenal, and something inside of us wasn't fulfilled. We were connected to a church, but we weren't planting a church, and we felt like we were supposed to plant. We were supposed to lead. There's a bunch of things going on, and God talked to us about moving to Atlanta. We connected with some guys, found a, a, a group of churches that were pretty amazing, and the closest one actual church um, that was nearby was in Atlanta, Georgia. So we traveled up there, took a, took a weekend, went up, and just went to church, went to service at that church. And it was phenomenal. I can't even begin to tell you. We were dry and thirsty, and the presence of God was so strong. We went up to the altar, and, and for the first time, my wife's very prophetic, and, and oftentimes in, in our past that had been misunderstood, especially by male leaders. They were a little bit intimidated by Karen which is understandable <laughs> if you know Karen. She can be really, really passionate. And so um, she had been mis misunderstood. She was very prophetic. She would share those words. And sometimes the pastors didn't know what to do with that, right? And we go up to the altar at the end to pray. And, and the pastor and his wife come over, and they're praying for us. And he begins to pray for Karen. And he just starts sharing, declaring who she is in God. And he's sharing things about, you know, a prophet to the nations, and God's called you this, and he's gifted you with this, and you've been misunderstood. And, and I mean, he's literally just, he's just reading her mail, telling her a life story. And in that moment, I'm watching this happen, and for the first time, we saw a really, really strong leader who was not only not intimidated by Karen, but welcome, welcomed her gift, encouraged it, celebrated who God had made her to be, right? Wasn't intimidated at all by her. Um, and that, he's a friend of ours, obviously now, Greg and Michelle. And while I was watching that happen, I heard the word of the Lord in my head as, as clearly as I've ever heard the Lord say, if you come here, I will bless your family. And I was like, that's a promise, man. That's worth, that's worth, that's worth doing something about. In that moment, a lot of things came to mind. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> if I come here, what? What does it mean that he's going to bless my family, right? So I thought I had some idea, but I mean, we went back driving down. I told Karen, I said, I feel like this is where God has us, and we should, we should move here. And she goes, I feel the same thing. Unbeknownst to us, um, Greg and Michelle were driving home from service that morning, and he was talking to her, and he said, you know that couple we prayed for, Dave and Karen? And she's like, yeah. He goes, I feel like they're going to move here and be a part of our church. And she's like, yeah, I feel that too. So we're like, ah, oh, God's in this, right? So we learn and discover all this. But we had to go home. We had to change jobs. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that began to happen. That disruptive moment set some things into motion 
that were both exciting and amazing. And then we got into the moment. We moved to Atlanta. It was 2010. The economy was tanking hard, <laughs> right? I'd, I'd got a great job at a, co- at a company, a marketing company. I was an account manager. Papa John's was my biggest customer. I mean, it was so awesome. Our biggest client. I was, it was so awesome. Things were going so well. And 89 days into it, I find out, like right before the 90 days, I find out that someone's bought the company and they're firing every manager in the entire company. So everything's going great and then it's not. And most of you guys know the story. Economically, things tanked pretty hard. Two year, in two years, I had four jobs. I shut down at least three companies. I have a gift, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Most of it was just the, that, you know, the economy tanked and they just couldn't stay in business. And, and you know, at some point in the midst of this, I got a call from a, a guy uh, who used to, I used to work for at Terminex Pest Control. I was a pest control manager in Tyler, Texas. And he said, hey, man, um, I know the economy's busted. And he goes, I'm not sure what's going on with you. He goes, but I have some great, exciting news for you. He goes, man, you... Uh, you were the best pest control manager I ever had. Would you pretty please come here and help me take this business to the next level? Um, I've been given a ton of money by the company, and they said I could hire who I want. I could pay them what I want. I'm going to pay you double what I was paying you before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double your salary. I'm going to give you two cruises that aren't part of your vacation package. You start your vacation package right away. You can come here and just take vacation. If you want. I don't care. I just want you. And I'm sitting there, and I remember that word. If you come here, I'll bless your family. So I just pray a quick prayer, Lord, is, is this, is here over? <laughs> or is here still part of your plan? And I knew I couldn't leave. So I told him, I'm like, hey, man, I can't, I can't go. I can't come over there. And he's like, don't tell me. It's that God thing again. And I loved it because he recognized in me, right, a love for God that I would obey God no matter the cost. And that's a testimony, of course, to him. I find it interesting that his name was Ramsey. You know, he's like calling me back into the old... <laughs> into Egypt, but it, that's another story. I just think that's, that's amazing that that's what, that was actually his name. But here's the thing. In, in those disruptive moments, it sets a course that you think you might understand, but you probably don't. So for me, I thought when he said, I'm going to bless your family, man, I was gonna, everything was going to be beautiful in my life. Economically, it's going to be wonderful. No problems, no issues. It was anything but. It was one of the most challenging times financially in our life. But when I look back, did God honor that word, if you come here, I'll bless your family? And the answer is 100% yes. So it was worth it. It was worth it. But part of that prophecy from Isaiah that, that, that God gave the people of Israel, he said, I'm going to send you a sign. And the implication in that is you need to prepare for what's coming. And so prepare just means to pair ahead of time. So prune ahead of time. Get things ready so that when this comes, You'll be ready. And so because I'd made that decision already to love God and honor him and obey him, when that moment came that would take me away from the promises of God, my yes was so powerful that a no became easy, even what looked like a really, really big opportunity, right? But when God comes, at first it's disruptive, and you think you know what's going on, and then obviously you don't. And that's kind of the picture you see here with them. Um, Luke chapter 134 to continue in the story. Here's how she responds to this story. Because here's the thing. I would imagine a bunch of you guys have had some disruptions in your life at some point. And God has promised you something new. And in the something new, there's some, there's some things that you're going to have to do. There's some obedience factors. But the first thing you have to know is um, don't, see, don't be surprised by the disruption because it's coming if it hasn't come already. 
So here's how Mary responds to, the, to, to what occurred. It says, Luke 134, how will this be? So here's what, here's what Mary's saying. She says, um, I'm, an, um, I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of the Most High is going to come on you. This is what's going to happen. God's going to do this. This is not something you could do. <laughs> you can't make yourself pregnant, right? This is not something you can do. God is going to do this. And so you're going to have to trust that he's going to do this. So she asked a fair question. How will this be? That's not unfair. When God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to do this, if you do this, I'm going to bless your family. My question, Lord, was how is this going to be? It seems very disruptive, but how is this going to be? So here's the thing that, that God was really saying to her. Um, I'm going to do this. And she's asking the question, how will this be? Because in her head, she's thinking naturally when God is promising something supernaturally. Does that make sense? And so, so often when God comes and says, hey, I want you to make this move, or I want you to end this relationship, or I want you to push back on this, or I want you to take a stand here, or I want you to you know, deal with this, whatever it is that God's coming to you saying, hey, I want you to go in this direction. It's different than where you, I want you to go here. The question always comes to mind, Lord, how are you going to do that? You get a vision for something huge in your life. God says, I'm going to use you to do this. And, and like Moses, you know, he, he says, how can this be? Because I can't, I can't talk good. <laughs> right? And God's like, it's not a problem. You have a brother, I'll use him. It's not a problem, right? I, I can, I've got this. And so that's the big thing we see. But here's what happens. Every single time God tries to move us in this new direction or give new birth to something, there's always excuses. And in some ways, that was kind of what Mary was doing. There was kind of a little bit of, um, Lord, I don't under, understand how this is going to be. I don't understand how this is going to work. But she makes the decision eventually to say, but I trust you. So here's how the angel responds. He says, the angel answers, this is verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So what he's essentially saying is, what's impossible with men, Mary, is possible with God. The outcome is not dependent on whether it can happen naturally or not. The outcome is dependent upon me. So Jesus' birth, this nativity scene, this new experience, literally changed the world from that day forward. But part of the way it changed the world is because Mary agreed to something that God was doing, and he wanted to use her to do it. So often, I think uh, Diane was saying, there's a part that we play in what God wants to do in our life. So often we get this mindset in, and it's horrible. It's, I call it Facebook theology. I did a whole series on it where we take scriptures out of context, and we, and we say things like, you know, if it's meant to, God's going to do it, and nothing anybody can say or do. That's, that's not true exactly. It's true ultimately, but it's not true exactly. The affairs of men often come through the affairs of men and God working through men to change the affairs of men. Slavery in England took, what, the better part of 100, a little over 100 years to change. Why? Because economically, it was the whole economy was positioned into this horrible, horrible thing called slavery. And, and because God moved on political people, he moved on on commerce, like ship captains, the, you know, the whole, um, whole story behind um, uh, the slavery movement was a political one, it was a business one, and it was a church one. God was moving in leaders from all different directions into these people to change the world around them. What if, they said, what if they'd said no? What if they just said, you know what, I'm, I'm not willing to do this? The answer is, God would have done it another way, of course, but he would have never used them, and their life would have never changed for the better. So, Here's the thing about this. We hear this all the time. It's like, well, if it's, you know, God's going to do it regardless of what I say or do. 
And, and the reason why that's such a dangerous lie is because there's some truth to it. Um, here's, here's another, there's a scripture that we get wrong so often, um, and, and it's connected to this. This is Romans 8, 28. It says, As we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Anybody ever heard that scripture? So here's how we typically read that. And we know that all things are good, but that's not what it says, is it? It says all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So here's the thing. God will use even the broken things of this world, right? Even this king, this political power, King Herod, who wanted to do certain things. Remember, part of the the story of the the birth of Jesus is um, this worldwide movement uh, around taxation is to take these, this young couple and send them all the way across you know, Israel to another city and move them into this place. And we look at that and go, look at how the world and how the powers tried to manipulate the things of God. And if you're, if you're paying attention, what you see is that God used Caesar Augustus, right, to fulfill a prophecy that Jesus was going to be born in a certain city. And so often our minds are, I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord. And, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll send a lot of doubt. We'll create a lot of doubt when God's trying to put faith inside of us. Here's Mary's response to the promise. Mary said, this is verse 38. Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So here's what Mary was saying. I don't understand this. I don't know how this is possible. Um, obviously, it's not possible with men. But here's what she said. I surrender to this word you've given me. And so I want, I want this morning, really what we need to understand is that submission is what actually brings about God's promises in our life. Submission is a dangerous word. <laughs> um, so often we, we've heard this misused in church about wives, submit to your husbands, right? The Bible also talks about submit, submit yourselves one to another. Um, you know, it, submission is not wrong. The Bible talks about the, the hierarchy, if you will, of the family in terms of leadership. And, it, and we always start with the father, you know, uh, or husband, wife, kids, right? Submit to your parents, the Bible says. But we forget that in the passage it speaks to that. It starts with Jesus is submitted to the father. The husband is submitted to Jesus. And the wife then submits to her husband, Right? And I know that's, we think that's archaic, and we think that doesn't apply anymore, and, uh, and that's a whole other sermon series, actually, to talk about. But here's, my, here's what I want you to understand. Submission can't be wrong. It can't be bad. It can't be evil. It can be used that way, but it can't in itself be wrong or evil, and the reason I know that is because Jesus is submitted to someone, and that's hard to wrap your head around sometimes, but, but submitting to what God said doesn't mean you need to understand it. And so this is what we do so often. We say, I don't understand this. And so we create pushback in our own heart. And if we're not careful, we miss the steps that God is challenging us to take. And we're not listening to what God's saying so that everything he promised us can actually work out. It just may not work out the way you think it will, right? And so our submission to God, this is an important thing to understand, has everything to do with what we perceive to be our greatest need. Right? So what happens is if, if, I, if, if, if I have trouble submitting to God, part of my problem is I don't believe that either God is capable of doing something that he's promising or that he's good enough to actually carry it through. Or if I get mi- mixed up under the law, I think that somehow it's dependent on how good I can be. And it's not about that. 
It, it, the Bible talks about obedience is better than sacrifice. In other words, you can talk about obedience all, all day long. You can even offer sacrifices of, I'm sorry I didn't obey. But the, but the point behind all this is obedience and surrender to the will of God in your life is actually what brings about the promises that he, he's given you in your life. There's an illustration by... Uh, uh, Max Lucado, and this is what he said. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. And so again, if we think that our greatest need is, I need to be financially stable. <laughs> or I need to be uh, in a relationship, or I need to be out of a relationship, or I need whatever you think your greatest need is, if you're not careful, that your perception of what your need is and what your need actually is can get mixed up and you can totally, totally miss God. So here's another question about that. How might God use us, not just to birth something new inside of us, but the new thing that he's birthing, birthing inside of us, how could he potentially use that to birth someone else's new thing. What could you do? Is there something that you could connect in a way that you can share the gospel or you could do something for someone that, that actually would open the door for God to work and do something new in them? So as I close, I just want to share this. When, when God came 2,000 years ago in, in the nativity scene, it was a promise that had been given. If you read the book of Revelation, it says, at the end of the book of Revelation, talks about the end of all things, right? We know that for the most part. But it really is interesting because in the book of Revelation is when it refers to there was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of time. So the book of Revelation is basically talking about all the scrolls are going to be rolled up. So it's picturing the entire lifetime of humanity, however long that's been. And it's saying that all of, the, all of this is going to get settled one day. All the scrolls are going to get rolled up. In other words, it was a picture of like when they would come and preach a message, they would open the scroll, they would read the passage, they would preach, and then they would close their scroll. Today it would be like, you know, we close our Bible as we finish preaching. It, it, it's wrapping everything up. And so, so in this process, the Bible says that before all of this ever began, before any of this started, there was a lamb that was already slain. And the picture was that God, it's, nothing's going to surprise God. The, fact, the fall in the book of Genesis, when you read through the story of the Old Testament, is the Old Testament, it's the version of us trying to do life without the one who brought us life, right? It's a rebellion against the God, the creator, who said, I have good things for you. I want to bless you, right? So in the book of Genesis, the Bible says he walked with mankind in the, in the cool of the day. In other words, there was nothing hindering the relationship with God. There was nothing in the way. It was literally you could sit down with God and have a conversation with him. You understood that life had been given you, that, that you know, when, when uh, Adam takes on this role of, of the protector of Eve, when he's overseeing the garden, when he's doing all the things that God had made him to do, when he's, when he's being um, the one who leads the humanity, the whole world is, is dependent on him. Um, you talk about uh, uh, God, I mean, a mankind taking care of the planet. That was literally what God told Adam to do, right? So he gave him purpose. He gave him someone to work with. He was in relationship with him, and he, and he throws it all away because the enemy comes, and he, and he says this little subtle thing that he's been saying since the beginning, and he's probably said it in your life, and he may actually be even saying it today about who God is in your life. 
and he just simply says, did God really say? So when God comes, there's a moment of disruption. Whatever your life was going to be, it's no longer going to be, <laughs> right? That happened to me. I remember um, 20 years old, I'm on a mountainside in Germany looking over the Alps. I'd just come from a, 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 an experience where I'd given my life to Christ. I looked out over the, the Alps, and I could see the mountain peaks pointing to God. I could see the, the trees had their arms lifted in praise and worship to God. I'm like, it's the first time I've ever seen that in my whole life. And I knew in that moment that everything was going to be different, that whatever plan I had, I, I was going to be an architect. I had some plans about white picket fences and all those things. And all of that was going to go away because here's what, here's what I thought. I thought that my version of my life was going to be the best I could do, and it was up to me to make it happen. And what I discovered was, number one, I wasn't going to do it. I had too much brokenness and sin inside of me. And then God comes and promises and says, hey, I want to bless you. I want to pour my goodness out on your life. And it was a moment of disruption that said, if you're going to have what I have for you, you have to let go of what you have for you. And this morning, I think the same thing is true. I believe that God is birthing something new in many of us, if not all of us. Something new, a promise as we go into this new year. A promise that, that God's been, he's been giving us this promise for years and years and years and years. And sometimes you get to that place where you're so frustrated and go, like Mary, how can this happen? I don't see the possibility of this. If I'm, you know, if I'm single and I want to I be in a relationship, Lord, I don't see how this is possible. If I'm broke <laughs> and I'm in debt, and I, I hear God promise me, promising me that I'm going to flourish financially. I don't see how that's possible. If I sense God calling me into something huge, something big, that's going to bless the nations, if it's a cause that he's put in my heart that, that causes me to ri- want to rise up and push back against the world, whatever, whatever that new birth reality is in you, it's going to come in that disruptive moment. And the question is, how can this be? And then over time, Mary didn't have this because she, she recognized she was pregnant pretty quick, right? And it was, it's coming. But over time, what happens is the enemy comes to that new thing that's being birthed inside of you, and he says, did God really say? And here's, here's how you fix that. The answer to this is simple. You have to make a decision about what you're going to do with that question. And you can't fool yourself can't fool God. Of course we know that. But we, you can't even fool yourself. You can't just go through the motions forever. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to pray here in just a second. And I want to encourage you. Would you deal with the question from the enemy, did God really say? Did God really say he's going to bless me financially? Did God really say he's going to, he's going to cause fruitfulness in my marriage? Did God really say that he's going to give me children? Whatever it is, whatever the promise is that you've heard from God, It's based not on anything that you could do. And that's kind of the picture that Mary paints. She's asking a question, how can this be? Because she's thinking naturally. And I think so many of us, that's how the enemy takes advantage of us. He gets us to think about how God's doing something in the natural. And here's why that's so subtly dangerous. Because when we do that, the subtle subtle direction in that is that somehow it depends on you. And when you screw up or you sin, the first thing that the enemy comes, he, 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 he forces doubt into your mind. Did God really say? And then you screw it up because now you're thinking it's up to me to make this happen. So you, like Abraham, go and 
you know, do some things you shouldn't do to try to fulfill the promise that God made you his way. And so the enemy comes and says, did God really say? And then when you screw up, then, then he takes on the name that he's given, the other name he's given, which is the accuser of the brethren, and says, God could never do something in you because look at your brokenness. Look at your heart. Look at who you are. Look at what you did. And so this morning, I want you to settle in your heart that when Jesus was born in the earth, love was born in the earth. And that word, when you look that word up, our English language is, is not helpful in this scenario. But in the original language, there's a bunch of different words for love. And the word for love that would be born into the earth through Jesus is unconditional love. And so all that simply means is, God says, I started this whole thing. The lamb was slain before the foundation of time because I knew that you were never going to be able to do it in your own strength. You were going to try, the enemy's going to deceive and, and make you think you could do it. The law is going to come. It's going to show you that you can't do it in your own strength. It's going to lead you to your need for a Savior. And then when you have that need for a Savior, you're going to realize, like the promise from Isaiah, a sign is coming that, that love is going to be born into the earth and that everything that you're trying to do and you're failing at has been done for you before the foundations of time. His love is that big and it's that strong. And the promises that he, have, he has in your life to bless you, hear this, because this is where, where the enemy deceives us too, is we think it's just about us. He's going to bless me, and so I think about all the ways that I can be blessed. But what you discover is that God says, I'm going to bless you, not just to bless you, but so that you can be a blessing to the nations, right? So the Bible says we have been reconciled, this beautiful picture in Scripture. We have been reconciled to God, right? All of this promise was made so that you could be reconciled to God. And in that comes all the beauty of peace and hope and joy and love and everything that God wants to bring. But there's something else that he wants to bring. He says, I want to now make you a conduit for reconciliation. So what does that mean? That means that we look different than the world does. Because the world, as much as we're challenged, even as believers, in striving against trying to do it in our own strength, it's the world's only option. And it always results in failure. We're talking about this with somebody the other day about success. Isn't it interesting? You watch famous people, documentaries, you see it all the time. I watch, just watched one with Garth Brooks not too long ago. And arguably one of the most successful entertainers of all time. And there's a sadness. In the documentary, you can see it. There's a sadness in him that whatever was promised him, he never got it. And, and the reason why we were talking about this, I think it was Rodney and I were talking about this, is because the gift that God gave that man was to glorify and honor God. Elvis Presley, same way. When Elvis Presley would sing, um, would sing gospel songs, go listen to them. There's an anointing on those songs that's hard to describe. You can feel God in him singing it, knowing that in that moment he was living an ungodly lifestyle. But he had encountered Jesus as a young boy. He had grown up in church. He sang in church. He used his gift and his talents and his abilities and everything that God made him to be to glorify the one that had given him the gifts in the first place. Right? And here's, here's my point. If you are trying to fulfill the promises of God in your life, in your own strength, that's a plan from the enemy and is only going to end in brokenness and hopelessness and loneliness and despair. But if you lean into the promises of God, the things he's promised you, 
the gift that you are to the world, of course God's going to fulfill that in every way. If you're surrendered to God, why? Because he's going to use you in the gift that you are to bless the whole world. And that's the picture of who Jesus was. Jesus didn't need, he didn't need anything from us, right? God did not need anything from us. He had perfect, eternal um, community in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he didn't need community. He wanted it. And so he made you and I so that he could lavish his love on us, so he could gift us, so he could pour his goodness out in our lives and, and, and show his great love for us in that when we needed him the most, when we needed salvation the most, when we were broken in our sin, he would come and bring that as a perfect gift, nothing you had to do except surrender to the gift. So my question this morning is, what would it look like if you said, God, you've made some promises in my life, and I've allowed some things. It's been a disruption, and because of that, I've never been the same. And if we're honest, a little bit angry sometimes because, Lord, maybe it would have been, never, maybe it would have been better had you never promised me that because I feel so empty sometimes, and I feel lack, and I feel like it's not coming to pass. But what if you turned that on its head and said, God, you would not promise something you're not going to fulfill because that's not who you are. It's not your character. And then ask this question, what if it wasn't up to me to fulfill this promise? What if God's intention was to fulfill his promise in me in simple surrender? All I have to do is go, God, I don't understand how, but I'm willing to say yes, so show me what yes looks like and surrender to these promises. So my challenge again is, um, I know many of us have had conversations about the promise of God. I have that in my own heart, just in being super vulnerable in this church. You know, prior to COVID, we were on the cusp of hiring staff and you know, going to two services. Couldn't be more exciting, right? And COVID hits, legs get taken out from under us. The truth is that happened to almost every church in America, right? 30% finances instantly went away. People just stopped coming. They stopped giving. Whole, all kinds of things happened. 10 years of just pouring our lives out and going, yeah, 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 build, build. And then if I'm honest, what I felt like was I was at the top of the anthill <laughs> and I was put back down at the bottom right? And I had to deal with that on a personal level. Let me tell you what all all I did was, I said, God, um, if I was ever looking for success to fulfill me, I lay that down. I don't need that to happen. I don't need a mega church. I don't need my name on a sign. I don't need to know that. I don't need any of those things. All I need to know, and this is what I asked God, was God, am I on track with the promises that you've given us, given me personally, but also the promises that you've given DCF as a church that started long, long before Karen and I ever got here 13 years ago. And my sense in that was, God said, 100%. You're 100% on, on track. Um, COVID didn't surprise me. <laughs> it surprised a lot of us. It did not surprise him. Right? And whatever God's doing, the restoration, and there have been promises now. We were at a comp- uh, When we planted the church out in Greenville with, with Andrew and Jamie, we just visited w- with them. I was telling somebody, like, hey, they just bought a, a strip bar. And, and then I thought, I should maybe give some context that they bought it to move into it as a church, not that they just bought a strip bar as a, you know, anyway. <laughs> so we, he drove us around it, and it, it's phenomenal. And the promises that God has made him are amazing and beautiful. And out of that, God, God has made promises to the people of DCF, and we're seeing some of those promises. We were with uh, uh, Steve and Cindy. Um, some of you guys know them. They were elders here with us for many years. Um, Steve was in the first service as a teenager. 
and, and he's retiring this year, and the promises that God has given him over his lifetime are beginning to find focus and find fulfillment in ministry in all kinds of ways that they could ne- never have imagined, including being with their kids as that happens. So here's, here's the thing. God has made some beautiful promises to all of us. He is faithful. But so often, we, we don't wait on him long enough. Like Abraham, we get antsy. And somewhere inside of us, we say, I will help God <laughs> fulfill the promises in my life. How many of you guys know it would have been good had Abram, Abraham not done that? That created an antagonism that is the Middle East today, okay? Literally, that's what that looks like over, you know, a couple thousand years of, 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 of brokenness in that one obedience factor. But how much more, again, as we lean in and go, God, I believe that you, I believe that you're telling me the truth. I believe that you're good. I don't understand what's keeping the promise from coming. Is it just a timing thing, which often is, is the case? And, and I want to leave you with this, or is it something that I'm trying to do that's actually getting in the way of God releasing his promises to me? And it always comes down to, I want the exterior to be changed, but I'm not willing to change the inside to get that change on the outside, right? It's some little moment, some little thing that God says, hey, I want to talk to you about this. And every time he says that, I just go, yeah, I don't want, uh, <laughs> Right? And often it's a core issue. And so I just, want to, I just want to leave you with this. As we go into this season, there's time to reflect and say, God, what is going on? What are you speaking to that if it's in the way of the promises that you're trying to bring into my life, that this Christmas season, this Christmas break, I can lay that down and wait comfortably with faith and trusting in you for the promise that you have given me. So would you stand with me? So Jesus, we trust you. Lord, so often our our desires get in the way. So often, Lord, even the good things that you've promised us, Lord, we end up trying to do things to to hurry them along. Um, Lord, what we don't want to do is we don't want to miss you. But Lord, if if we're honest, sometimes we use that as an excuse to push harder or further or or do things that we know that's really in our own strength trying to make it happen because we're impatient or we're frustrated um, Lord, there's a longing that won't go away, and we want it to go away. Lord, but if, if we're honest, if we really submit and say, God, I, I want to lay that down. I want to put that on the altar this morning and say, Lord, whatever is in the way of your promises happening, not just in me, but Lord, your promises happening through me to a world out there that's broken and hurting and without you. Lord, could, could this morning my ambition change from a personal ambition, Lord, to an ambition that's born in you, that's fostered in you, Lord, that's released and celebrated in you. That's our heart this morning. So, Lord, whatever's in there that's in the way, Jesus, we just lay that down right now. We just put it on the altar and say, Lord, thank you for your kindness and your grace. Um, Lord, just receive this as an offering, as a sacrifice even, Lord. It's not something necessarily I want, but it's something I know I need to do. So I just lay that down, whether it's a relationship, Lord, whether it's ambition for money, whether it's um, whatever it is, Lord, things, whatever those, whatever's in the way, Lord, we lay it down right now and say, Jesus, would you fulfill your promises to me? Lord, would you fill your promises in me? Lord, would you fill, fulfill those promises through me? 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Um, Don't forget, we don't have service next Sunday. It's this coming Wednesday night at 630. So have a wonderful, wonderful two or three days.